red flags, but okay podcast beginning in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, it's been forever. It has been like three weeks since we've recorded anything. And since we've seen each other's faces in real time. I know, and as usual, I can only see the top half of your face. Because I have squished myself into my little crevice, so I don't fidget. Because, as you probably noticed in Crime and Punishment, my audio was poor because I was so fidgety for some reason. Um, So I have now found basically a furniture straitjacket to prevent myself from fidgeting. It also really shows off your great shelf. Yes, the new shelf. That's, it sounds like such a like innuendo, but she did make a really cool macrame shelf. <laughs> yes. It took a while, took a lot of work. Shout out to Joe for the beautiful actual shelving portion of it. Um, but it's awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's the center of the frame on Skype, so it's even better. But Jen, this isn't a shelf <laughs> podcast <laughs> as much as I want it to be. This is a podcast and what kind of podcast is it this is weird flex but okay an educational comedy podcast yes the podcast where um i moved to japan and uh forget how to talk yes um and she sneaks in really nice sweet parts before podcast episodes and doesn't tell me so that i cry when i listen <laughs> I had a feeling because we're terrible about that where we're like, say something to each other and we'll just be like, no, don't say it. No, don't say it. And even like us saying goodbye, we were like, we're just not going to even say goodbye to each other. (laughs) We were just like, okay, well, I'll see you. Bye. (laughs) Me watching you drive away from my house. I'm just crying in my driveway. But which what? Oh, it's going to say Joe did like, as we like, drove away and we mm-hmm. turned off your street he like reached over and he just grabbed my hand because <laughs> he knew I was dead <laughs> it was so sweet <laughs> so, oh, that's the he most gets- he's gonna give <laughs> <laughs> but we are we're not talking about saying goodbyes today because we already did that and we're over it it's been we say hi again yeah we got to say hi again it's been weeks um so we're gonna talk about Dungeons and Dragons today yeah we are and I'm I'm Dragons and I'm Dungeons. Which seems, it seems fitting. Yeah. I'm kind of you a know. demon. Did you ever get into Dungeons and Dragons? I did. I did. I really like uh, fantasy things. I would like to play Dungeons and Dragons as an adult. I feel like I would have a really good time now. I need to find people who are into it around here. I'm sure there's some nerds around here. <laughs> sure there are. I can find, some, I can find some nerds. <laughs> Have you, did you ever get into Dungeons and Dragons or just like fantasy stuff in general? Um, I love fantasy stuff, but I never got into the game. I believe my dad and my brother did. Okay. Um, but yeah, I like, you know, I, I was busy reading. I was that kind of nerd. Well, you could have been a dungeon master. There's reading involved. Yeah. We'll handle this later. This is more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't talked really like this in a while so that's true we haven't actually gotten to talk to each other it's just been basically if you like snapchat and whatsapp but um we think that i might start do you want to rock paper scissors for it or do you want to just have me start you go girl you are so afraid of fun okay (laughs) 
I just really want to know about dragons. <laughs> okay, so I do have a quick corrections cabinet. We're opening the okay. corrections cabinet. Oh. Um, the so this goes to the meat and potatoes, and mm, okay. the um, the I am Simani eggs aren't black. Uh, I was bamboozled. I was fooled, like many others okay. were, but I did end up looking into it, and they're not black. The rest of them is totally black. Their bones, organs, their organs, tongue, everything. So, okay. That's but, still pretty cool. Yes. That's even weirder. That their eggs aren't black? Yeah, but like everything else is, and then the eggs just come out like normal chicken yeah. eggs. I just don't know enough about the mechanism behind chickens making eggs to know. Yeah. I also need to know now if their poop is... No, that wouldn't work. Their poop wouldn't be black. They're not eating only black stuff. I'm sorry. I just lost my mind. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that was my little corrections cabinet for the week. I just wanted to let you guys know I'm aware that they the eggs were not black and i'm ashamed and i they should be black it's important that they are okay. now back to dragons let's talk the about dragons the fantasy world yes so nearly every region throughout history has had some kind of mythical dragon some are giant sea serpents some have wings and fly overhead some breathe fire some live in isolated caves and then some are just a combination of everything from different cultures feeding into each other. In Europe, the idea of dragons most likely came from the Greco-Roman tradition. The dragon is so ingrained in European history, in fact, that in Wales, the Welsh flag and the coat of arms for the Prince of Wales have a red dragon on them to this day. In fact, the Welsh dragon is known as the Queen's Beast. Ooh. You like I it? I I wish I had a beast. I wish, well, like, be a queen. I wish I had a family seal as a dragon. Um, what is the? I think I think there's a unicorn in. I don't know enough about this. I'm gonna to side goog real quick. There's a unicorn in like the uh, queen's seal, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Is there a corgi? Oh my god, she probably wishes that. <laughs> yes. So. The Royal Coat of Arms of my internet is so slow. The Royal Coat of Arms <laughs> of the United Kingdom has a lion and a unicorn. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's not a dragon like the Prince of Wales has, no. but the, the mythical yeah. creature thing, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's our first dragon fact. Pretty fascinating. Dragon. I did get a little bit into like the history of of dragons and where they come from and kind of why where do they go oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I <gotta> go. <laughs> I, but i did i was kind of looking into it because i was like "Ooh, where did they think there was dragons in wales and it's like no it was just like a greco-roman tradition that comes from just like like every other region where there's just some sort of mythical creature that they come up with for a billion different reasons and it was just a carryover from that. And then the Tudors ended up kind of attaching themselves to the dragon because it was just a symbol of like power, just this giant scary dragon. And so that's, yeah. And so that's how they kind of linked themselves to it. And then it became, it became the, the seal for Wales and the Prince of Wales. Cool. You're up. I'm up. I'm gonna be talking about Devil's Island. Go on. <laughs> It is an abandoned colonial French prison. Okay. 
that was first opened in 1852. Okay. Um, by Emperor Napoleon III. Hell yeah. <laughs> he sent anyone he wanted out of France to this prison. And oddly enough, a lot of the people were um, opposed to his rise of power. Strange oh, that he would that? want to send them to a prison. But. Interesting. <laughs> In its heyday, the island was home to about 8,000 murderers, thieves, and other criminals. Which, is a lot. That's kind of like a mini Australia. Yeah, that does seem like a ton. Um, And as bad as the prisoners were, the conditions were worse. Prisoners were kept in dark cells where they could not speak, smoke, read, or sit before nightfall. This was, yeah. This was enforced by guards who patrolled on raised footbridges above the cells. And um, apparently the guards would sometimes wear slippers to try and catch prisoners breaking the rules. So they would be like walking on these footbridges above their cells looking in and they would wear slippers so that they'd be quieter and they could catch a prisoner that's talking to someone. That's terrible, right? Terrible. But also <laughs> kind of cute. <laughs> just picturing them like cartoonish sneaking. Well, just the idea of like people who were like, I'm going to catch you. So I better put on my slippies. <laughs> um, and I'm going to bring it down a notch now after that. Mm-hmm. One in every three prisoner died um, from disease. Oh. And then hunger and violence were among other causes of death at Devil's oh. Island. I mean, it fits. The prison was finally closed in 1953, though France had stopped sending prisoners there by 1938. That just feels, uh, it, it feels like too long. Yeah, it's still, it's about 100 years, because it opened in 1852. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 100, that's 100 years, right? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just feels like it's it's really interesting whenever you hear about things where it's like it seems so so old and so brutal and like medieval almost, and you're like, oh, this actually happened. This was actually happening more recently enough that people I know were alive during that period of time. Yeah, that's crazy. The cool thing now about the island is, um, and other nearby islands that were also like different prisons. They are under the control of the, I meant to look this up, Guiana. I know it's like New Guinea, but I don't think it, it's not spelled like Guinea. No, yeah, it's it's what, it, it's Guiana, I think. Guiana, okay. Guiana? Well, the, look, I'm not going to act like I'm an authority. I don't know. But let's say it is. Guiana Space Center. Oh. Um, and receives more than 50,000 tourists a year. So the islands are used for a lot of like space research and well, I stuff. guess it would be uh, it would be secluded, right? So there wouldn't be a ton of light pollution. So that's kind of cool that they like yeah. took this. Yeah, the cells are still so we could definitely go and check them out, and yes. it's probably really haunted. Oh, it's definitely haunted. I love it. I love that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue thanking you for your facts. People are going to be so sick of it. People are going to be like, shut up, Kate. But I am appreciative. But I really like that. I mean, I don't because it was a prison and people died and it was horrible. And a lot of them were most likely just political prisoners who just, you know. Didn't like being a third. Yeah, they just disagreed. And I can't, I really think that that's pretty. We're butter supporters and not margarine supporters. <laughs> 
there was the thing that kills me is that there was a there was a few Napoleons, but we've decided <laughs> that it's just one Napoleon. <laughs> like we're not even keeping track of which Napoleon. His horse Pumpernickel after like farting devils on a devil's island. <laughs> it's all connected. It goes straight to the top. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, well, since we're talking about world leaders, Ooh. let's talk about a president briefly. So, in 1990, George H.W. Bush, the old one, George I guess George. the dead one, yeah. Um, <laughs> rest in peace, I guess. I don't know. I don't think any president has been inherently good, so I'm not like yay to any of them. Um, but he was given a Komodo dragon named Naga by the Indonesian government and um, just like side thing, Naga is like one of the Indonesian mythical dragon creatures. It's this giant sea serpent. Cool. But um, he was given a Komodo dragon named Naga, and uh, he very wisely gave the dragon to the Cincinnati Zoo. He didn't keep it. Good call. <laughs> yeah, where the dragon went on to father 32 more dragons. Is that a lot? I don't I know. No like, because you know idea. how, like, rabbits, like. Yeah, I don't know if he was a very so prolific boner or if uh, he was not. Who that knows? That feels a lot. It feels it like is, a lot for a dragon. The fact that it was, like, a notable thing in an article makes me think it was a lot. But I don't, yeah, because I don't know if it's, like, rabbits versus pandas, you know? Like, do Komodo dragons frequently have a lot of kids? Or is it, like, a panda where it takes them 84 years to get pregnant and they probably won't? So who knows? Um but uh, he passed away in, in 2007, and he was at the ripe old age of 24. Still don't know if that's a long time for a dragon, but he was measuring over nine feet long. Holy cow. Which feels like a lot of dragons. Yes, head to tail. The tail is a huge portion of their body. Yeah, but the tail is huge usually yeah yeah i mean komodo dragons are i think we see pictures of them very frequently or we see smaller ones in zoos and stuff and we don't realize how massive they are <laughs> so komodo dragons are absolutely huge and they can consume roughly 80 percent of their weight in one meal mood i mean <laughs> we had sushi the other night and i definitely consumed 80 percent of my weight don't blame you but god could, could you ugh how expensive would it be to just feed a Komodo dragon? Yeah. Well, and they... That's long. They, yeah. Well, and I guess, like, they're, they are incredibly large, incredibly heavy, and they mostly go for, like, carrion, so, like, dead animals or animals close to death and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, could you imagine if you have to... If you have, like, say, a 150-pound Komodo dragon and you're having to give it over 100 pounds of food a day... That's insane. Yeah. I mean, also just don't own them because they will definitely kill you. Yeah, that too. 100%. But yeah, that is uh, George Bush Sr.'s Komodo dragon, Naga. Cool. Well, that ties in really well to my next little fact I'm going to mm. give you because it's about the Tower of London Menagerie. Ooh. And Royal Monarchs gifting each other exotic animals Hell apparently yeah. that's still a thing so from 1200 to 1835 the tower of london was not only a prison to humans but also to animals oh. aka a zoo 
but not as nice. <laughs> you know, animal prisons, the San Diego animal prison. <laughs> um, so it began when med medieval monarchs would exchange rare and exotic animals as gifts. Henry III was the first one, mm -hmm. and he was gifted three leopards by the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II, which inspired him to start a zoo. However, it's believed that the leopards were actually lions. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so he's gifted three lions or leopards, but and then he was like, you know what? I want more. I'm going to start a zoo. They're probably just house cats. <laughs> A uh, polar bear joined in 1252, oh, no. and the polar bear was gifted from um, what who they believe to be the king of Norway. Okay, that, and that tracks. Got to hunt for fish and swim in the Thames. Times Thames. Probably Thames. Thames. Okay. I'm sorry. It is now. <laughs> I know it's not. You don't. I know you don't pronounce the th sounds like th. Yes, so, I, th I think it's Thames, but I also all, all of my knowledge comes from books, which is just me reading. So who knows? I was just going to say, I am notorious for just learning words from reading and pronouncing them however I want. So um, three years after the polar bear came, an elephant, an African elephant was gifted. Um, oh, God, this is from sad. From the king of France. From the and, king of France? Yeah. I know I have questions, but also no yeah, questions. Yeah, I did too when I read that. I was like, how did France get an elephant? I'm just sad for these animals out of their climates. Um, unlike the human prisoners, the elephant survived a few years there. Oh, congrats, bro. He survived longer than many of the humans. The uh, There was a tower named the Lion Tower since the animals all lived there. Uh, but the tower was destroyed in the 1800s, so it's not still there. And um, Edward I actually created the Lion Tower in 1622. And it was home to three eagles, two pumas, a tiger, and a jackal. But the main attraction was still the lions and the leopards. So now at this point, there are lions and leopards. Okay. Which came first, the lion or the leopard? We'll never know. Well, we'll never know because they didn't know if the first ones were lions <laughs> or leopards. I mean, I feel like it's pretty easy to tell the difference, but you know what? They if you were had just, never seen awesome. it before and someone said, this is, this is a lion. Yeah. And you have no idea. Also, I, I got to tell you about something I'm looking at. So. Yeah. Well, I feel like you don't get that one wrong. I got to tell you about something I'm looking at right now. What are you looking at? Outside of my window is a guy who is in the top half of his military uniform. And there's okay. a woman filming him. So I'm guessing he's giving some kind of like welcome to Okinawa brief type of thing that they're filming. But the bottom, I took a picture of it and I sent it to you. The bottom half is flip flops and Bermuda shorts. Like when you go on a Zoom call and you only like... You have your pajamas on the bottom half and your business. But he's fully out here on the seawall in like the top half of an Air Force dress uniform. <laughs> I can't look directly at it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just had to tell you about it. I captured that. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, oh. dragons. So 
Nope, yeah. I'm still going. With oh, the zoo. I'm so sorry. I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have interrupted your zoo. More animals. James the first mm-hmm. improved the lion tower so that visitors could more easily view the lions. Okay. Um, animals did have their revenge by killing or maiming those who got too close. That was like the zookeepers, soldiers, just visitors. They all, if they got too close, it was no good for them. That's kind of the reality we have now. Yeah. Um, And then in 1826, the Duke of Wellington rehomed 150 of the animals to Regent's Park. And then about 10 years later, the menagerie was closed for good. And the rest of the animals were given to zoos and traveling circuses. Um, And right now, if you go tour the Tower of London, there's like lion statues and stuff around. And that is to pay homage to the lions from the Tower of London. Oh, is that why? Yeah. That's really fascinating. I guess I just assumed because they have. Oh, my God. It's all making sense to me now. (laughs) All the lions, all the lion statues and stuff everywhere. Oh, my God. It's all so. fitting together. That's really fascinating. I guess they kind of assumed that they had just been like, oh, this is a symbol of power or whatever. But how would they really have that association if they hadn't seen them in person, you know? I think it's in one of their, like, family seals. I think, like, Henry the Thirds or something. Yeah. Because lions, he was gifted, and that's how he started. And Wow, that's pretty fun. cool. Fun facts about the Tower of London that don't involve torture. It's always nice when we can dissociate the torture a little bit. Just the torture as well, which is almost worse. All right. Now I can talk about dragons after I so rudely interrupted you talking about your menagerie. Oh, wait, I have more about the menagerie. <laughs> okay. Since we're at the zoo. <laughs> Since we're there. Okay. But now we're going, we're going elsewhere. We're going to the Blue Ridge Mountains. Where's that? That uh, like uh, Maryland, I think. I might be wrong. I think so. So, so deep. It's where I say it is, okay? So, deep in the Blue Ridge Mountains, there's a legendary dragon called a Snallygaster. The legend okay. originates, yes, <laughs> the legend originates from the German immigrants to the area, and it's kind of a play on a bunch of German words. And Though the sightings began in the 18th century, they really blew up in the late 19th century and early 20th century, with Teddy Roosevelt even considering hunting the mythical beast. I want to go hunt it now. Well, I mean, maybe. Um, I They're supposed to be huge. They have like a metal beak. They fly. Oh. Very scary. I don't know if you yeah. want to hunt a Snallygaster or if you're really the big game hunting type. What if I don't want to hunt it, but I want to, like, befriend it? I want to photograph it. But uh, So most of the sightings were most likely to actually be cautionary tales designed to scare formerly enslaved people. Like, kind of, (laughs) like, don't go out at night, the Snallygaster will get you type of thing. Mm -hmm. Or to be publicity hoaxes to sell newspapers. There was quite a few sightings in the early 20th century that were directly tied to newspapers just making up random Snallygaster sightings to get people to read their articles. But you may know the Snallygaster now because it was one of the beasts 
prominently featured in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It was? Yep, yep, that's where you know the name from. Oh, that's why I'm going to have to go rewatch the movies. Yep. So that is Snallygasters from the Blue Ridge Mountains, maybe Maryland. I could be wrong. <laughs> Wherever we say it is. God damn it. <laughs> We decide the geography of the United States On of America. On this fact-based podcast, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get... Just... I'm going to get a little spooky. Ooh. I had to adjust for the spookiness. <laughs> um, but first... We're going to do some history lessons on yes. the Eastern State Penitentiary. 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 I don't know. It opened in 1829 with the goal of not using corporeal punishment and instead utilized a Quaker-inspired isolation and labor to convince the prisoners to change. Mm, oatmeal. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of, too. <laughs> Punish me with your oats. Um, the Pennsylvania, like, system was based off of this prison. It was when there was a lot of time for prison reform, and mm -hmm. so uh, this specific prison was looked at by the whole world as the goal of prisons okay. and solitary confinement. Ooh, I've got some yep. capital O opinions there. Um, prisoners were allowed to read the Bible and complete honest work, yeah. such as shoemaking or weaving. <laughs> There's nothing more dishonest than any other work. <laughs> and um, it, I don't remember when it, closed to people. It was sometime in the 1900s. Uh, but in 1994, it was when it officially reopened for tours. Ooh. So, I don't know why I didn't write when it closed. This didn't matter to, to you. <laughs> I, that was not the important part of the research. Some notable inmates include Al Capone. Ooh. He's basically the most famous inmate there. The rest, <laughs> I didn't super recognize. End of they list. Have, like, <laughs> they had cool, like, rap sheets. We okay. had uh, Morris, the Rabbi Bulber, who Ooh. led an arsenic murder ring in Philadelphia. Oh, yikes. Leo Callahan, the only successful escapee from the Eastern State Penitentiary. Penitentiary. Close enough. <laughs> and Frida Frost, the last female inmate there. Hmm. That's a dope name, though. Frida Frost. Super dope name. Uh, she poisoned her husband. Not dope. <laughs> uh, not only was this prison well known for the Pennsylvania system and the beginning of solitary confinement, but it is currently known as the most haunted prison in the U.S. and one of the most haunted places in the world. Ooh, spooky. Yeah. And Mariah, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe she toured this. Well, if she did, she needs to tell me if it's worth it, because I would like to go tour it. Mariah. Mariah, right into us. the pod. Let us know if it was worth it. Thank you. 
Um, some famous ghost stories include the most infamous one about a locksmith who was doing restoration work in cell block four when suddenly a massive force of negative energy overcame him and he couldn't move. Mm. And some people believed that he opened a gateway for the spirits and the negative energy when he was working on the cell block. And he just said it was just like gateway locksmith. He said it was just this like terrible negative energy. Okay. But don't you have that sometimes? I get that sometimes. It's the gateway. (laughs) That's what I'm going to call my anxiety. Like every time I get like the wave panic attack, I'm going to be like, oh my God, I'm a locksmith. (laughs) I just opened a gateway for spirits. (laughs) Uh, Other stories include weeping, giggling, and whispering often heard by employees and tourists. I don't know if weeping or giggling would be more terrifying. Giggling's, I think giggling's scarier than weeping. Like weeping, you can be like, oh, they're all down. Like they're not having any fun. <laughs> but then giggling, it's like they have the energy to come for me. That's true. Especially if they were like former prison inmates and they're giggling. Like yeah. why are you giggling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, 12 is known for echoing voices and cackling. Cackling, terrifying. Don't like it. Cell block six has shadowy figures. Okay. And the aforementioned cell block four is home to visions of ghostly faces. All of these are things I don't want to see in any place, much less a creepy Quaker prison. Yeah. So it is, I believe it's open for daytime tours, but there are, um, nighttime spooky tours are closed currently still for like you can sign up for because of COVID. Oh God, I was hoping it was like because it was too haunted, but no, it's COVID, the no, ultimate COVID. haunt. Yeah. So well, maybe by the time I come to visit at some point, we can take a little trek to Pennsylvania and go on a creepy nighttime tour. Yeah, and fun book fact related to this yes. is that Charles Dixon. Dixon. Charles Dickens visited this prison and he was like, this prison is terrible and needs to be changed. And he, his like negative feedback on it really led to actually some changes instead. It ended solitary confinement. Prisoners got two people to a cell instead of one. Well, and you you know, honestly having somebody to talk to does make all the difference mental health wise, even if you're not even fond of that person. Just you, and, you don't dissociate as quickly. You know, they were able to do the, they were able to read the Bible and talk unlike Devil's Island where they could not do anything. That's true. And they could on, also do honest work, whatever that means. Shoemaking. <laughs> the only honest job. That's very Quaker. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. But that's, that's really fascinating. Ghost hunters and ghost adventures and ghost shows have done gone there. All a lot, of the, all so. anything involving Zach Bagans probably has touched that. Yep. Yeah, cool. Yep. That's really neat. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna do so much like googling later and looking at creepy pictures and stuff from that. I'll be asking Reddit creepy. all about it. This gate these like dug a tunnel. Like God, love out, a good tunnel. So. Love a tunnel. Yeah. Well, this my fact is not related to uh prisons it's not related to ghosts unfortunately i would love it if it was ghosts but it is related to dragons which is what i'm doing here so if you've ever seen a super old map with vast expanses of ocean 
you may have seen the phrase, here be dragons, and wondered, were there literally dragons? What kind of propelled them to have to say on their map that they spent years drawing and making that there's dragons somewhere? So uh, were there dragons? No, definitely not. But also kind of. So dragons are real. Probably. Um, so <laughs> the Romans used the phrase here be lions to denote areas unknown on maps, basically saying this is wild territory. Who the hell knows what's here? And that's likely... area. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's very likely that here be dragons is just kind of the ocean version of here be lions. It's also very possible that it has to do with our old friend, the Komodo dragon. So sailors who passed by what is now modern day Indonesia may have seen the gigantic and horrifying Komodo dragons and linked them to the dragons in medieval mythology and thought this is literally dragons. And that, that would be terrifying. If, well, like we were saying before, if you don't know what something is, you've never, because we have had our whole lives, we've been able to see books and the internet mm -hmm. and everything with all these different animals. If you see an animal for the first time and it's a nine foot long giant thing with a tail that just like will bite and eat everything, that's a dragon. That's, that is a dragon. That is terrifying. 100%. So yeah, so that those are two possible origins of here be dragons. But also it needs to be noted that the phrase here be dragons is only actually historically used like twice. So it was kind of, it just almost became like a map parody. Like it, hmm. it was only really used on, uh, on like two notable maps from like very early history. Well, I'm going to try and see if my maps have that. Well, if they don't just write it in there. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'm gonna in Maryland. Well, here be Snallygaster. <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about um, a dungeon that belonged to a dragon. Oh, I yes. just literally just realized that this kind of connects to dragons too. Um, <laughs> it's Dracula's dungeon and it is about Vlad the Impaler who was um, the son of Vlad Dracul mm -hmm. and Dracul yes. is dragon. One and of so my top favorite impalers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so he was Vlad Dracula which is like son of Dang, nice. Cool. So um, that's, he's said to be the inspiration for Dracula. And in 2014, archaeologists in Turkey discovered two dun dungeons in the Tokat castle during restoration. Mm -hmm. And it is believed this is where the Ottomans held Vlad the Impaler um, hostage. So he was a political hostage for several years and kept in one of those two dungeons. Okay, for the best. Um, and he was only 12 years old when this happened. Oh, no, not, don't do that to 12 years. Yeah, years. right? You think like, oh, good. But no, he was a political hostage that mm -hmm. his dad was like, yo, Ottomans, I need your help with this war. And they were like, cool, you got to leave both your sons as political hostages. And then they, he was okay. Oh, I just have issues. Yeah, and the dad was like, cool, I will. So this is um, believed to be what led Vlad to really hate the Ottomans. And he really love and healing. So his treatment and time there, they were there for a while, several years, until his like dad 
was like, yeah, I'll come back for you, and then didn't. And then Vlad, like, took over the army and just started impaling people left and right. Um, And fun book fact, there is a book series, and the first one is And I Darken, and it is a, like, gender-bent historical retelling of Vlad the Impaler, but Vlad is a girl. And so this author, like, Kirsten White, local San Diego author, really funny. I've seen her in person multiple times. Um, she wrote a book about Vlad the Impaler, but Vlad is a female. And it is like historic, like the impaling is in the books. Because she said like and writing, the past is female. It was it was interesting because I didn't realize that's what it was about when I started reading the book. And then I was like, wow, this is just like really like factual and historical. And then I realized it actually was supposed to be. And so she, she did a great job being historically accurate, but nice. Um, yeah, he, the Vlad did not like those Ottomans. And I mean, if I was 12 years old and thrown in like a dungeon, I, I might hate the people who did that too. Yeah. I feel like if anything's going to make you become an impaler, like that's your thing is an impaler. Mm-hmm. And it's particularly an impaler of Ottomans, which (laughs) in our like current context makes it sound like you just really freaking hate like living room furniture. (laughs) But if if anything's going to make you an impaler, I guess being trapped in a, in a really terrible medieval Middle Eastern dungeon is kind of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. They had evidence to that. They were like, yep, Vlad was here, but they didn't release what the evidence was. And so I want to know, and I couldn't find it, but I'm going to continue to search. Well, I know what it was. He carved Vlad was here into the wall. (laughs) Here be Vlad. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty neat. Here be Vlad. Vlad. (laughs) Well, we're going to go from... What year was that? Whatever year that was, a very long time ago. Yes, a very, a very, very long time ago. It's obviously been a while. We're kind of weird on our research, but um, to the uh, to the nineteen eighties in New York City. Ooh, great time! A great time to be a dragon. Actually, kind of a terrible time. But so in New York City's Chinatown, the nineteen eighties were nuts, cuckoo bananas. It was a wild time. One particular gang called the Flying Dragons was running rampant. The Flying Dragons originated from an early Chinese-American labor union in New York City, but the affiliation didn't really last when the gang got into drugs. By the time we got to the early 80s, the gang had been taken over by Johnny Onionhead Ng. Did, did he have an onion-shaped head? He looked super normal to me, honestly. <laughs> Dude, but, maybe it's because he made people cry when he cut them. I don't know. <laughs> I tried to find out why he was called Onion Head, but I think it was one of those things that it just, like, happened. Because, like, other people in the gang had nicknames like The Scientist, but, like, his nickname was The Scientist purely because he kind of sounded smart when he talked, you know? <laughs> so it was just one of those weird nickname things. But he was also known as Machine Gun Johnny, which I guess maybe that fits better. So That's a um, lot cooler. Yeah, it's a lot cooler sounding. I there's no no news on whether or not he was in agreement with the name Onionhead. But um 
old onion head was locked in a brutal turf war with fellow Chinese American gang, the ghost shadows. These gangs have pepper, the ghost peppers and onion head, but these gangs have some of the coolest names, but they were locked in a brutal turf war and uh, they had their hand in everything from heroin trafficking story. (laughs) If it's picking it up. (laughs) Sorry. So they had their hand in everything from heroin trafficking to kidnapping to murder to extortion. They were kind of all over the place. If it was bad, they were touching it. Um, They very notably picked up where the Italian gangs had to leave off after the mass prosecutions in the 80s that cut off the Italian heroin pipeline. So basically, the New York government had put everybody on trial from the Italian gangs and it left a massive power vacuum that the Chinese American gangs decided to suck up, and particularly the uh, the Flying Dragons. So they also used tunnels between Chinatown businesses to keep their dealings from the prying eyes of the streets, which I think is kind of cool. I love a good tunnel. Yep, I would love a tunnel to Chinatown. I would love a tunnel to Chinatown because I'm freaking starving and also yep. really want to go shopping and I'm stuck in a hotel room. But um, the, also the NYPD didn't exactly get super into hiring Chinese speaking police. They were racist. So the communications of the flying dragons were nearly impossible for them to understand. And they were able to kind of operate largely under the radar for a really long time because of this. They also, I mean, we know that a lot of different POC groups have been treated kind of as if they don't matter at all by police. And then the police will just ignore things happening in their, their little uh, more insular insular societies. So basically the NYPD was. You're saying this is not a new thing and this has been happening throughout history. What I'm saying is that cops are racist, but basically the NYPD until it became a Manhattan problem, it wasn't really a problem. If you get what I'm saying. So, Um, They pretty much ignored the terrible things that were happening to people in Chinatown. They just didn't care. So it it wasn't until it left Chinatown that the cops really paid attention to it. And so Old Onion Head and the Flying Dragons were ultimately taken down in the 90s when their reach became broad enough that it attracted wider law enforcement attention. So once they were dealing heroin in areas that the cops actually gave a crap about, that's when, oh, my food's here. Um, <laughs> once they, uh, hold on, it's housekeeping. <laughs> and I'm back. I had to go, I had to go uh, tell housekeeping uh, that I'm busy, even though I do need them to come. I need them to vacuum. Okay. So I was talking about heroin. Their heroin sales moved into Manhattan or lower Manhattan and kind of out of the Chinatown area. And this is when um, the police in New York City really started to pay attention and say, hey, look, this is a massive problem. We didn't care until white people got involved. So uh, Johnny Ng was sentenced in the early 90s to 24 years in prison, but served only 17. At the time that he was sent to prison, he had multiple estates all over America and kind of in the all over the world. He had fled back to Hong Kong where he still had a huge reach in Hong Kong. Um, there was a lot of association between the Flying Dragons and the Chinese Triad, a lot of other gangs. 
and he ended up also having to pay a $3.5 million fine. I don't know if the fine ever got paid exactly, but his all of his assets were seized. Um, he got out of prison in, uh, I believe it was 2010, at, after 17 years, and he really has not been seen at all since. The gang now operates in a very light capacity with different leadership. Um, it's believed that his cousin is in leadership. Also, in New York City in 2011, Onionhead's wife was murdered outside of a bank by another <sighs> by another member of the Flying Dragons. So it's possible that he is not in good standing with the dragons. And that is... yeah. I that is Onion Head and the Flying Dragons. Do you think he sold some of them out when he was arrested? Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's definitely a thought. Maybe that was one of the ways he got out of prison faster. I'm not sure exactly a lot of the details about his time in prison and stuff like that is kind of a little sketch. So, But they don't know where he is. They don't know if he's in the U.S. or if he's gone back to Hong Kong. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. There you go. That's And also, um, around that same time when... The Flying Dragons were taken down. A lot of the other gangs in Chinatown were taken down as well. So they, they still exist. They're still there. And there's some Taiwanese gangs and some other Vietnamese gangs and stuff like that. But it's not in the same way where they really did during that period of time in the 80s control everything. That The 80s were wild. Dude, the 80s were nuts. Drugs were everything if you if Fashion. you were yeah, yeah it was it was quite a time i mean but, i guess the drugs explain the front fashion so <laughs> when you're on heroin you make some interesting fashion choices <laughs> what they need to do is give heroin to some bees and see how they dress themselves yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah that's uh um, that's me all right um my room service just showed up. Oh, hey, Joe. Kate says, hey. <laughs> Wait, recording? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're super professional now. We're really on top of things. <laughs> okay. My final little dungeon slash mostly prison yes, is the Ohio State Penitentiary. Just given i've given up on that word it's a word uh, fire okay so it was built in not the fire but the prison was built in 1834 and it soon became notorious for being overcrowded and having poor conditions Ew. it could house i think it was made to hold 1500 people and at the time of the fire in 1930 there were 4300 inmates Oh my gosh. So tripled? Yeah, no thanks. An idea of the conditions in 1849, the uh, there was a cholera outbreak that killed 121 people. Oh, what a inmates. way to go, man. Yeah. So not a not a great prison. Really overcrowded, really gross. They were just not treated well. It was not they were not getting to read the Bible and do honest work. <laughs> <laughs> no shoe making for you. <laughs> um, so on the night of April 21st, 1930, a fire broke out on scaffolding because they were expanding the prison. Oh, and there was, there was fire. 
and on the scaffolding. And the cell block immediately adjacent to the scaffolding had 800 inmates, many that were already locked in their cells for the night. And they begged to be released as the smoke filled their cells. And reports say that guards refused to unlock the jail cells as the fire spread along the roof. Two prisoners who were out forcibly took the keys and began to unlock as many cells as they could before they had to escape. Oh and um, about 50 inmates were able to escape. Oh my God. There were how many? There were 800 in that cell block. Oh. I don't know how many were locked in the, um, the like locked in their cells, but a large majority of them were locked in the cells. Oh my God, what a nightmare. In that one cell block, yeah. The roof caved in and approximately 160 prisoners in that cell block burned to death. By the time the fire was controlled, 320 people were dead and 150 were seriously injured. So that was just goes to show how terrible that prison was and like how bad the conditions were that they just like that was and I think that's one of like at least in the U.S. largest number of prisoners that were killed in like one event. That's insane. That's such a massive loss of life. Yeah. And obviously it was the 30s and they were prisoners. People didn't really care. People don't really care now. Yeah, that's so. true. Um, that's and I, could, I didn't see why the fire started or how the fire started, which is also suspicious. They said it was on scaffolding. Yeah. Which, again, it's the 30s. So, like, scaffolding was yeah, pretty it was much just, just... It was made <laughs> out of flint and steel. <laughs> we make our, our scaffolding out of 100% magnesium flakes. <laughs> Wow, that's a uh, that's horrible. And what if we didn't make people completely suffer through their prison time, and they were able to serve their time so that they could become productive members of society? What if we did that? A good thing did come out of this in mm -hmm. that they were like, "Yo, you had way too many people there," and like half of them ended up getting released early because it was like, we need to cut back like your prison time. You don't need to serve 12 years. Cause you like stole some bread or whatever. Like they cut back people's, um, there's a cap up for you. I hope you liked that. Thanks. Love that. <laughs> uh, they cut back like people's prison time so that they could release them so that they were not overcrowded anymore. So that's good. At least that that happened. Yeah. It's sad that, 320 people had to die from that and 150 seriously injured they probably died because if they were prisoners they weren't getting proper medical treatment in the 30s yeah that's just it, it just seems like you shouldn't be dependent on a massive tragedy to make change but also like triangle shirtwaist and all that kind of stuff that's kind of how things work yeah. things don't change until everything goes wrong yeah but, well that was Dungeons and Dragons love it I'm sure that um, prison is haunted too. So, of course, <laughs> they're all haunted in some way. They were all shitty. <laughs> well, that was our that was our first episode back. I mean, you guys didn't have a break, but we had a break. You didn't get a break from us to suffer through. Yeah. 
but we had you you never get a break (laughs) (laughs) we uh we had some time off and we're back now hopefully i will be able to find a place to live even though i've been here for three weeks i still have nowhere to live so hopefully i'll find a place to live soon and i'll have wi-fi good enough that we don't sound like total butthole yeah so please still be nice and patient with us as we get Kate set up. We're trying our best to not sound absolutely horrible, but no promises for a little while. Cause I I'm living in my second, or this is, what is this? This is the fourth hotel room I've been in since I left my house. So I'm living in my fourth hotel and this is totally open-ended and I don't know when I'll leave. So hopefully I'll find out. But she's a beautiful ocean view. I do. I have an absolutely insane ocean view. It's like the most beautiful thing you can imagine. I'm looking out at the, uh, at the East China sea right now. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty dope. So I'm not going to complain about it, but, um, but yeah, so that was, that was really good. Also um, we have an announcement. Yes. Before we go down citation street, we wanted to invite you to pull up a seat at our conspiracy cabaret. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are going to be doing a monthly special episode and it's going to be themed around the listeners and that you will be sending us your favorite conspiracy theory that you want us to just like dig into. Mm-hmm. And we will be talking about that conspiracy theory for an episode because as you know, we love us some conspiracy theories. Oh my God, yes. And so where can they send us their conspiracy theories, Kate? So you can send us an email at weirdflexpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a DM on our Instagram, which is weirdflexpodcast on Instagram. And um, any way that you kind of want to contact us, you can send it to us and let us know what your favorite one is. So we're going to do once a month, we will release our special bonus episode, which is of course going to be free to everyone to listen to where we're going to deep dive. So however you want to get it to us, get it to us ASAP because we will record it pretty soon. Yeah. Send us your conspiracy theories. Yes. We are very excited to hear. Also, um, whether it's one of your pet conspiracy theories or it's one that you just think is the craziest thing you've ever heard, please send it to us. We want to hear them all and we will pick out of that, which ones we really want to dive into. Yep. I love conspiracy theories. Oh my God. I I love so hard for them. Yes. (laughs) I'm so excited. All right. Down Citation Street. Okay. I'll start on this one since I started. I think I forget instantly. But um, so when getting into the Welsh flag and the coat of arms. I got that from the actual like Wales website, (laughs) the actual government of (laughs) Wales website, which is actually pretty full of some pretty cool history. Um, When getting into George Bush's Komodo dragon Naga, I got that from ibtimes.com, wrote a really cool article about George Bush receiving Komodo dragon from the Indonesian government and it being just a super quirky presidential gift. Um, the Snallygaster information came from Blue Ridge County, Blue Ridge Country.com in their archives, the Snallygaster monster. And um, uh, actually came from Harry Potter. I'm sorry. It came from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. My bad. I forgot that it's, it's totally JK Rowling everything. Um, you sound like Olive, by the way. <laughs> so totally. She'd be like, um, actually. <laughs> So when talking about Kirby Dragons, I got some info from Wikipedia, of course, and then also 
info from gslounge.com slash herebedragons. And when talking about the flying dragons, there was a couple articles, one from Village Voice that was actually uh, from an article that came out in 2020, and it was New York's Other Mafia Young Warriors in Chinatown, and also one from nationalcrimesyndicate.com called The Asian Axis, Johnny Ng and the Flying Dragons. So that's me. Cool. Devil's Island I got from Atlas Obscura and Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. uh, Tower of London, the um, menagerie I got from the Historic Royal Palaces website. And they have a lot on the Tower of London. And they had a whole specific section on just the menagerie. The Eastern State Penitentiary I got from um, info from NPR live about and from their actual the historic sites website which is where you can get more info on the haunted night tours reopening Ooh. if you're interested in that kind of thing dracula's dungeon Smith smithsonian magazine and the ohio fire state penitentiary fire history.com so which is like the history channel of course well that yeah. was a, that was a really good episode back I'm I'm glad we finally get to see each other. I'm glad I finally get to see the top half of your head again and your cat's butt. And Lily's butt. Lily. She wants wet food. She's decided it is wet food time. And so she presents her butt to Kate. <laughs> Thank you. Lily, I can't help. <laughs> but all right, well, we will we'll I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys, and we'll see yeah. you next week. We'll see you all next week. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye.